All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. After five o'clock on a lovely Wednesday afternoon, how are you? What a beautiful day out! Ooh, get outside, get some walking in, a little bikey. Oh, this is barbecue weather, baby! Get the zucchinis going on the barbie. Nothing better, nothing better. Zucchinis and chicken. Oh, it's awesome. Easy to do. Like zucchinis are so easy on the barbie. Love them. Try them today. You won't regret it. Not at all. Not for a minute. I can bet you. Put a wager on that at PlayAlberta.ca. No one's turning those down because they're so good. Welcome back to the show. Let's get to the Rashad Report now, brought to you by NextGen Transportation, a heavy haul transport provider, 100% locally owned and operated, and a huge supporter of numerous youth sports teams. It's NextGenTransportation.com, as Ryan Rashog from TSN joins us uh, once again. And, uh, Shogger, there is a... Some, some interesting news and notes around the NHL. Gavrikov is a pending UFA. I'm mm-hmm. trying to think the last time a pending UFA signed a two-year deal as a defenseman. Now, he got good money at 5.9 mil, but still, that, it's a very short term. Yeah, well, I mean, I think his, uh you know, it's been reported about him that he, he kind of marches to the beat of his own drum, right? He kind of does what he wants to do and uh, is pretty firm in, in doing what he wants to do. So a big reason why the Oilers didn't uh, consider trading for him is because they had a really good sense he was not signing at Edmonton, right? Um, and I think he's just he's firm in what he wants, and uh, I guess, you know, took the rather than take the term, took the higher dollar figure in the short term. So I agree it's a little odd, but apparently he's, he's pretty firm and does what he wants to do. I know, good for him. Uh, just it's it's odd. And then uh, hey, Athanasiu, 
hits a home run in Chicago, two-year deal at 4.25 mil. That one's more because they need to get to the cap floor. And, hey, he did have 20 goals and 40 points last year. And so, you know, I'm sure anybody who tries to compare, like other GMs are probably like, what? But you can never use the outlier. From what I was told, when it comes to arbitration or comparisons, they'll throw out those ones. And Athanasiu would definitely fall into the outlier category. Yeah, I would. I mean, 20 goals is 20 goals. Um, had the one year there where he had 30. Like, I mean, the guy's shown he can score goals in the league. He's also shown he can fall off the face of the earth, too, at times. Um, so, you know what? Like, I, I listen, good for him. Like, good for him. He's a guy that's been through certainly some adversity and, uh, you know, fought hard to keep his career intact. Uh, and puts together a 20-goal season and cashes in. He's in an ideal scenario where they, they need to spend some money, and so the guy just takes advantage. Like, good on him, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, no, I don't blame the player there at all. And, and like, two very different signings today for different reasons. But Athanasiu, hey, he's going to be there. And, hey, he gets to play with Connor Bedard for a few years. I'm sure that'll be exciting. For him, heck, he might be on his wing, for uh, for goodness sakes, uh, the way that lineup is in Chicago. So I think they look and say, hey, this guy, he might score 55 points, 60 points, maybe playing with Bedard. We'll see. And, uh, you know, Anthony C is probably like, yeah, I'll take it. No problem. I'll say this. He just made up for the fact that he turned down the contract Edmonton offered a few years ago and he ended up having to sign a one-year deal. For mm-hmm. for a million, way lower elsewhere, because now uh, he was never going to make that much money. Uh, I don't think uh, playing in Edmonton. I don't think he would have got the same opportunity. So good for him. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's taking charge of your own career and believing in yourself, and um, and they need guys that can produce a bit of offense to have around Connor Bedard. Like they need, they're going to need players that can play in the league, and uh, you know he can certainly skate. We know that he has produced before. So, yeah, all all good and good for him. You know, that's a bit of a sticky one for other fans. They don't love the acquisition cost, but I think we all know that COVID, you know, and the salary cap played a pretty big factor in, in him not being able to part of, be part of things with the orders moving forward. Um, so it's probably a bit of a stinger for other fans, but it is what it is. Now, uh, looking at a few other things for the Edmonton orders, like, uh, I, I know I wasn't on the last few days. I saw people talk about Carter Hart, and I was like, no, the orders, uh, I have heard zero. They have their goalies. Yes. I, have, I heard that, too. I got, like, ten yeah. text messages the one day. I was like, what, like, what are they going to do with Jack Campbell? How do you magically just make that not, person not there anymore? It, it just it's Their goaltending is set, is it not, for next season, Greg's? I would think so, yes. Um, you know, because people were saying, oh, you trade Jack Campbell. Well, first of all, they just got Cal Peterson in Philly. They're not trading for Jack Campbell as well. Like, come on, people. you gotta be got to be realistic here. So, And I think if you're trading Carter Hart, you're not just, eh, we're giving up on him, and we're going to make a utopian trade that benefits Edmonton way more. So it's just, I don't think it's realistic, uh, to be honest. I've told that there hasn't really been a conversation uh, around Edmonton because, you know, they look at their goalie situation and, um, that that's not the area like, hey, do they want Stuart Skinner to be better at next playoffs? 100%. He'll learn from it. He's a young guy. Do they want Jack Campbell to be way more consistent in the regular season? 100%. And that's going to be what their focus is on there. But I think their other big focus on their team is what their veterans all said at the end of the year. Like, stop being Santa Claus. And that's going to come down to the players in front of them. Goaltending will help in certain cases, no question. But... I think the order's main focus is is going to be uh, defense, and I still think they they got to solidify their bottom six so they can have a competitive bottom six. 
Yeah, and figuring out who's coming back and who's not. Figuring out, you know, if there are additions to be made, what that looks like. Um, yeah, I agree. The bottom six is is important. Um, yeah, and on Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner, I mean, you have your goaltending locked in for seven, whatever, seven and a quarter, seven and a half million bucks, whatever it whatever it adds up to, and I think you're not going to make a trade where you got to dump a bunch of assets out the door to move Jack Campbell um, to bring in somebody who you hope Stuart Skinner outplays, right? I mean, I think they I think they have hope and believe that Stuart Skinner can develop into the starting goaltender on this team on a full-time basis, but they've got Jack Campbell there to insulate him in case he doesn't. If the goaltending flat-out isn't good enough heading into next playoffs like if both guys struggle or they don't feel and maybe address it at the time but um you know to add a cornerstone piece i mean like like hard you know i know the the game has been up and down but to try and fix that when you've already got the two guys i think there's it's just not a lot of sense there but yeah the bottom six for sure i mean i i think you know yanmark makes sense if they can get Costin to do a deal, I think that makes sense. I don't know how simple that'll be. I don't know how simple the Costin negotiation ends up being. Honestly, it just depends on whether the guy's willing to go back to Russia or not, quite frankly. Because um, he could look at it and go, yeah, they control my rights, but, I mean, the guy played me three and a half minutes some games in the playoffs. And I don't know how he feels about that, right? So it depends on where his head is at about the whole situation. But he would be uh, a good guy to keep for their bottom six. Yeah, and Mark, because of the penalty kill... And uh, Bukestad, I guess we'll see. I think on the Clem Costin, I think Edmonton's very interested in keeping Clem Costin. Agreed. I, I I think that the challenge will be that if if you if you qualify him, which is very easy to do because he's making the league minimum of seven fifty, which is now seven seventy five, but he's making the league minimum of seven fifty, and his numbers in arbitration could command upwards of like one point seven. 1.6 potentially, and I don't think that's what they want. But I, they might just roll the dice and qualify him and hope that you know between now and, and going to arbitration they get a deal done. Most guys never go to arbitration, right? They file for it in the hopes of getting a deal done. Because I think they want costs and they saw value in him. You know, the coach at times, which leads me to my point. I, I think the big thing moving forward for, for Jay Woodcroft is he's going to have to trust some of his bottom guys. Like, hey, maybe Clem Costin, does he have to make some better plays defensively? Sure. But I, I I think at times he's he's gonna he's gonna have to learn as a coach that you can't always just go away from certain guys all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, with young players, you got to be willing to play them through some mistakes so that they're usable players when you need them. Um, so I think that is help part of what can help round out your bottom six too. Like, there's no reason Dylan Holloway shouldn't have been a highly usable bottom six forward by the end of the season, right? And I know there were some injury issues there, but still, um, if you commit to it early in the year and you stick with it, chances are you've got a player that you can trust in the playoffs. If he's as good a prospect as, as everybody seems to think that he is and as he seems to be. So it's about playing young guys through mistakes and kind of living with that, committing to it, understanding the long-term value of it and committing to it. And then, yeah, it's about not having guys on the outside looking in so much. I mean, Devin Shore, I think, has the ability to be a reasonably useful bottom six forward, but he needs to play. You can't sit him to the point of being an unusable player. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. I, I agree with that. I think, um, 
you know, having more guys, some of the best success they've had and the best they've looked as a team is when you engage everybody and get everybody pulling on the rope and everybody, that's when they're able to roll that four-line game. And uh, that eluded them a little bit because not enough guys were necessarily enough in the fight. Yeah, because I went back and I wrote an article today at OrdersNation.com um, about, you know, the minutes. And I went game by game in that series, and you looked at the top, uh, like, all the forwards' minutes. And really, the only difference was, you know, Edmonton's top few guys played an extra minute and a half than Vegas's, And Vegas's fourth-line guys played extra minutes than Edmonton's fourth line. That was really the only difference. And so I can understand why you'd say, okay, we'll take that swap, a little bit more of McDavid, Drysaddle, and Kane, and a little bit less uh, of Cost and Janmark and Bukestad. Now, Janmark's a little bit uh, skewed because he was injured in one of those games. But, when, when, and I was looking at all the five-on-five numbers when it comes to time on ice. McDavid and Drysaddle, of course, have played the most five-on-five minutes the last two years uh, in the NHL. And the only guy who's actually averaged more five-on-five minutes per game is McKinnon. But then I went and broke it down even farther with all those top-minute guys and looked at their numbers and, you know, points per 60 and all that stuff and goals against per 60 and everything, and they can definitely improve there. But I think there's going to have to be one change that that I see for – and I think it's going to be how Jay Woodcroft allocates minutes to his whole team, Shogger. I, I, I don't know if you can have the, them play the power play all the time, play all the most minutes five on five, and then now start playing a minute and a half, two minutes, and penalty kill. I just You can't do it all with some guys. You just can't. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the penalty kill is where it probably needs to give. And I know McDavid was dangerous on the penalty kill, and they like using them. I think when you're trailing in games, if you want to use them there, then that's okay. But I think you need to have your role players – fill out those roles and not have your 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 high-end offensive guys i mean that power play is going to run they're 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 not going to develop a consistent second unit they've got too much firepower on the top unit so where else can it give and it's the penalty kill you can give that to guys that give them that responsibility and let them run with it and they tried and they did um but yeah i listen i don't disagree uh, I just think that they, it needs to be something you build into your team over the longer period of trusting guys and developing those roles and having everybody really firm in their roles and the right people in the right spots, and so they're just really confident in it. And I think, um, you know, at times, yeah, it gets McDavid and Drysaddle heavy, but at the same time, I mean, I was the guy that really felt with the season on the line, they needed to throw their best guys out there more and not worry so much about what, um, you know, especially early in, in games where he was doing some line matching in that last game. So I don't want to be a hypocrite here. I think you need to be able to throw a ton of McDavid and Dreisaitl in certain situations and have everybody comfortable with that. But to win a seven-game series, it can be more about having everybody rolling um, you know, through the bulk of that series. Yeah, but if you look at how many minutes they played in the second and third period in that game, and, and the first period they were still leading 2-1 to one with mm-hmm. him only playing five minutes. So it didn't hurt them. What hurt them was then they had to play him 30 minutes because they gifted a few bad goals in the second period. Like the second period crushed them, and they played McDavid a ton of minutes in the second period. Yeah, well, they got chasing it and, and kind of had to. But I still, I mean, whatever, we're going back to breaking down this game again, but it's still, um, I still don't like the idea that you're you're afraid, whatever word you want to use, tentative for certain matchups with McDavid. Um, you know, I just would have liked yeah, I would agree him. with that play right through it just don't even worry about it you know um and that was one area that i thought was just got a little bit too little too much messing around 
you know, you're you're down two goals with your season on the line, you throw them on the ice to start the period and then yank them because of who the other three teams threw over the boards. I just, it's, yeah, I, I didn't like it at the time, and I, I said that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what adjustments Jay Woodcroft makes. be interesting to see what he does, you know, if we notice some differences with him. I think there are a bunch of areas where he can, you know, like everybody, like the players need to tidy things up. I think, you know, I think he plays too many goofy little games with his lines and practicing in different lines than he plays in and warming up in different lines than he plays in and all these little things that nobody else does for a reason because the players are creatures of habit. They want things to be a certain way. And it's just the way it's always been. I just think there are a bunch of ways that he probably, um, you know, he's a very detail-oriented coach, and I think it serves him well in a lot of ways. But I think he needs to cut out some of the fat on some of the that thought process and how far he takes it at times. I would agree. Shogger, we'll chat with you tomorrow. Uh, game three of the Stanley Cup final. Sounds good, pal. It's Ryan Rashog from TSN. Shogport brought to you by nextgentransportation.com. And uh, when we return, hey, man, uh, big moves. But Carter Hart, is he really going to be on the move out of Philly? Why? We'll find out next on The Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. 5.30. We roll through a lovely Wednesday afternoon. How are you, Jason Gregor? Connor Halley. You can always get involved. You can text us at 10.12.60. Email us in our Jiffy Lube inbox. Jay Gregor at TSN1260.ca. We've got a little trivia for you. Somebody wants to go golfing. We'll get to that. But uh, first... We have uh, lots of news to uh, talk about in our big guest of the day. Brought to you by... Silent Rise Charter Company, one of Alberta's premier bus charter companies with state-of-the-art motor coaches that safely take you or your team to your next destination. Go to silentrides.ca, book your ride. Today, as uh, Jordan Hall joins us from uh, NBC to discuss the Philadelphia Flyers' big uh, trade yesterday that saw them uh, move out Ivan Provorov to bring in Walker and uh, Cal Peterson. They get some draft picks, uh, obviously shed some salary in Provorov, but of course uh, bring in some salary in Cal Peterson. There's rumblings about uh, Carter Hart being on the move. Uh, Jordan, the, the Carter Hart one perplexes me a bit. He doesn't make huge money. Uh, now they've got Cal Peterson, so I guess you could argue that maybe they don't want to have you know that much money in, in goaltending. But like, if you're trading Carter Hart, you're like, are you admitting that you're going full rebuild? If they're open to trading Carter Hart or very seriously open, I think that would be a very strong indication that they're going to strip this down pretty pretty deeply. Um, but I do think it could be a little premature on the Hart noise. Danny Breer, when he first took over in March as interim GM, he, he flat out said, we're not in position to not listen to anyone. And he's said it now about three to four times that they're going to listen on anyone. He even joked that if Wayne Gretzky can get traded, anyone can. So I think it's Breer really keeping almost an open mind, not not you know crossing anything off or taking anyone off the table. I think he's going to be willing to listen. He's going to do his due diligence. And maybe if a team uh, blows him away with an offer and they feel it, it best fits this rebuild, they'll they'll consider it. But um, I, I don't think they're in a rush to move Carter Hart, or they don't believe he's a part of the future anymore. Okay, yeah, that that makes more sense. Um, I, I was a little perplexed by it. That, you know, here's a young guy, and uh, I just don't know where, uh, where where they think they're going. But what what kind of is the the plan for them on the blue line? Like I know Provorov has struggled uh, the last few years. Why has he struggled so much, and do you think he can rebound moving to a new a new team in Columbus? 
he definitely was an ideal change of scenery candidate. I think here in Philadelphia, frustration grew on both sides, the Flyers and Provorov's side. And I think that happens when teams fall hard. I mean, the Flyers last year lost 57 games. This year they started to embrace this rebuild. And Provorov's a competitive guy. He plays every single day. He blocks shots. Um, He's as tough as nails. So I think there started to become a realization that the Flyers needed to move on from some from some players. And in order to rebuild, I think they realized Provorov was a pretty good asset. Uh, I do think he can be better. Um, but I do believe the Flyers realized maybe his ceiling wasn't as high as it once was as a potential number one defenseman. At times, he was partner dependent. It seemed like when he had a really good partner, he was almost 1B and the partner was 1A. Uh, and when the Flyers went through instability on the back end, he struggled. And I think they, at times, probably wanted to see him more kind of take everyone into the fight and kind of rescue the defense. It just didn't happen, and the Flyers fell, I think, a lot harder and quicker than they thought they would, and suddenly Pro Rob became expendable. Was he asked to do too much? I think that's fair, and I think part of his DNA is he wants to do everything. I mean, he's a guy that I think ever since he was a kid, he played a lot of minutes. I mean, I remember him joking that uh, when he played well before his junior years, uh, they they didn't have enough defensemen. So he got used to playing just crazy, ridiculous amount of minutes. So I think part of his DNA was he wants to do everything. He wants to put the team on his shoulders. And then that became pressure. It became too much. Um, this year, they definitely tried to lighten his load a little bit. But I, re- I remember Brad Shaw, the assistant coach of the Flyers, uh, said at the beginning of this season, it's his, it's his first year in Philadelphia, and we asked his initial pressure to pro Rob, and he said, I think he could smile a little bit more. I think being happier would help him. I just think it, it became a ton of pressure here in Philadelphia to the point where it just became obvious uh, uh, that parting ways was the best for both parties. Yeah, if, if you're pointing out that a guy needs to smile more, I'm not necessarily certain that that's the, you know, the the best uh, the best way to go about rebuilding things or or, or making it a better relationship between the two. As Jordan Hall joins us from NBC, uh, Jordan, you know, they move on from Provorov. Obviously, they're, they're they're trying to retool is what they're trying to do in Philadelphia. You know, they've already got the the extra first round pick. Uh, the one guy's name I've heard a lot of, uh, Kevin Hayes, Frank Cervalli's talked about him a lot. Hayes, we've seen lots of people want Travis Konechny, and I totally get why they want Travis Konechny. But, like, Anthony D'Angelo, I don't know how, how – you know, expendable he is. But what do you make of, you know, where they're doing it? What's the update on Kachuria and Atkinson? Are you expecting both to be healthy and ready to go? As of right now, Kachuria and Atkinson, it sounds good. Uh, at the end of the season, Kachuria wanted to play games. Like, he was he was actually a little peeved that the Flyers didn't give him a chance to play games. They just felt it made sense to not put him in there and, and potentially re-injure or or suffer a new injury because he hadn't played in a while. Maybe he wouldn't be up to the pace of play. But he's chomping at the bit. And Atkinson sounded very relieved at the end of the season that he was about a week away from being clear. So right now it sounds good on those two. I think the Flyers are going to really welcome those two with open arms just in terms of just a little bit of pedigree and experience in their lineup because they're getting even younger now. And with Kevin Hayes, it it definitely seemed like the writing was on the wall for him about two months to go in the season uh, the Flyers definitely kind of bumped him down the lineup. They started playing more kids. 
he didn't always see eye to eye with John Tortorella. They respected each other, but they didn't always see eye to eye. And I think Tortorella started to really decide that Hayes was no longer a fit here, just given his age, um, his contract, and where the Flyers wanted to go in terms of rebuild. I thought Hayes would have been the first shoe to drop in the offseason, but I do think he would now be the next name that the that Rare is going to look to move and try to make something happen and, and really make the most, the best deal for both sides because the one thing is it's definitely a delicate situation with Hayes because he is extremely well-liked in the locker room. And I don't think the Flyers want to do wrong by him and then really rub their entire locker room the wrong way. I, I think they're going to try to make a deal that makes sense for Hayes uh, and then a deal that really makes sense for the rebuild in terms of getting younger, shedding cap, and, and trying to push forward that way. Colorado makes sense to you for Hayes? I can see that. I can see I can see Hayes joining a team that um, that maybe fell short earlier uh, in the playoffs, and they're just looking for maybe a piece or two. And and the thing about Hayes that I think is really attractive is he he could jump into a locker room and just fit in seamlessly. And, and there's still a lot to like in the player. I mean, he's only 31 years old, and he's six foot five, and and he's a center, and he can play in all situations. Uh, he was a point away from a career high this year. Uh, still a very good player, I think very much in his prime. The problem is the money and, and the term on his deal. Three years, and he makes over $7 million. Uh, but I think if the Flyers get creative and if teams um, start to realize they could really use maybe a second-line center with size, uh, they'll want to make something happen. Uh, and I think he could put a team over the top or at least give them some serious steps. One last one for you. You mentioned Couturier, and those guys will be ready to go when the uh, the season begins. Um, when you look at a guy like Owen Tippett and Joel Farabee, where where are they at in in kind of their their goals and their plans and their development? What what's the expectation from those two next season? Tippett really opened eyes this year. I mean, might have been the most improved and promising player for the Flyers last season. Uh, if, if the team's looking for small victories, he was probably one, given they didn't have you know, the win-loss season they probably were hoping for. But Tippett was a massive piece to that Claude Drew trade, and it's looking like the Flyers actually won that deal. Um, John Tortorella loves him, and I believe the Flyers in-house think he's a foundation piece. If, they're, if they have any untouchables, I think Tippett would be right up there, maybe among uh, some other prospects. Um, and then Joel Farabee had his lumps this year. Um, Tortorella expressed frustration at times with Farabee. But then I think people started to get into Tortorella's ear and, and, and told him, hey, listen, he, you know, he, he hardly had an offseason. He had sudden neck surgery in June where he got the artificial disc put in his neck. Um, wow. and, and the fact that he played all 82 games is really impressive. So I think they're, they're eager to see Farabee get a regular summer this year where he can build strength and kind of be ahead of the – ahead of the curve going into training camp. So I think both players are viewed as foundation pieces um, and, and guys that can really be, uh, I think, cornerstones to, to when they're winning again. Jordan, great stuff, man. We appreciate the rundown. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That's Jordan Hall joining us from Philly. That's a team to watch uh, leading into the trade because I think Kevin Hayes for sure is going to get dealt before the end of the month. Um, obviously not somebody that Edmonton would be interested in, but um, Colorado potentially with Landeskog out, I think that could be a fit. So watch that. But I think that the Flyers are definitely a team to look for when it comes to uh, wheeling 
and dealing, uh, no question about it. Let's get to a little Eagle Rock trivia right now. Triple four twelve sixty. Triple four twelve sixty is uh, where you're going to be able to uh, text the uh, the correct answer. And because this is the uh, start of the CFL season, I need you to name who led the CFL in passing yards last season. Triple four. Or no, text it to 10-12-60. Text it to 10-12-60. Who led the CFL in passing yards? Up for grabs around a golf to uh, tee it up at uh, Eagle Rock, where the course in great shape, 50 bucks during the week to uh, tee it up at Eagle Rock. And, of course, the Smoky, always get the Smoky. Never forget it. EagleRockGolf.com. Well, we got some great answers coming in at uh, 10 uh, 12 60, but uh, a few of you finally got it. I like it getting back into the uh, swing of uh, CFL season, which gets going this weekend. And of course, the Elks season opener, which also happens to be their uh, home opener this Sunday. Saskatchewan. The season kicks off Thursday. Calgary hosts BC, then Friday, Winnipeg and Hamilton. Saturday, Montreal, Ottawa, and Sunday, the Elks and Saskatchewan. So uh, four days, four games. Kind of like that. Week two, the same thing. And really, week three, not until you get to week four. Uh, Even then, week four. We don't have two games on the uh, same day uh, in the CFL season until week six on Saturday, July 5th. Will be uh, if you're a CFL fan, you're gonna get lots of options to watch games. Mostly uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There is uh, the odd, uh, there is a Monday game mixed in there, so should be good. Cons, who is our uh, winner today? Oh, we're gonna uh, go with Dale today. Dale, congratulations, Dale. Knew that indeed, McLeod Bethel Thompson led the uh, CFL in uh, passing yards last season. Tidy over 4,700 passing yards for him. He's no longer in the league. He left, free agent, went down south. So uh, Zach Calaros had 4,183. Trevor Harris had 4,157. Bethel Thompson almost uh, basically 550 yards passing more than anybody else. So we'll see. Could somebody get to the 5,000 mark this year? Taylor Cornelius had 2,700 passing yards in 12 games. Which, if you uh, prorate that, that puts him right on past to around, you know, just over 4,000 in an 18 game season. So we'll see if he can uh, build on that. Uh, Jake Meyer in Calgary. I'm definitely uh, interested to see uh, what he's going to do this year. Dane Evans. Lots of uh, movement at the uh, quarterback position all around the uh, CFL. Let's get to uh, Help Me Understand now. Brought to you by Elite Promotional Marketing, where, hey, they, uh, oh, don't worry. The shirts are almost complete for uh, all of you stage fighters. We'll have a, have a good support for a cause that I, you know what? I always like to support new causes. It's Strutty's cause and, uh, stage fighters. There's a few of you. So elite promotional marketing helping us out with that. And they'll help you with all your corporate golf wear needs for upcoming golf tournaments, Nike, Under Armour, Callaway, and more. Check it out at elitepromomarketing.com. I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all. I'm afraid I don't understand. Understand? Do you? I don't understand. What? Uh, Help me understand. It's too technical for a layman to understand.
It seems too technical because I have read lots. And here it is. It's over 24 hours now since the announcement yesterday at the PGA, and now there's all just one league again. But, like, there's so many questions left unanswered. The PGA for years was like, oh, you know, Saudi money, they're brutal. They're terrorists. You can't support them. No chance. Now guys left and they got huge money, huge signing bonuses. Right? Rory McIlroy's like, what? You guys wanted me. I was the face of the PGA standing up for everything, and then you basically just pull the rug out for me. Sorry. Now we're teaming up with them. I still don't understand necessarily how it works. I don't even know what people know. To be honest, guys who are insiders, I'm reading them. I'm like, they don't seem to know. Help me understand what's the benefit here for the PGA. That's one of the most simple question. Help me understand why. Like, Liv was slowly dying. Why didn't you just wait? What's the benefit here? If you're getting in bed with, with like, the Saudi money, why? Help me understand, Connor. What was the need for the PGA to do this? What am I missing? I got I, I I can't really help you. I guess I'll say to get Phil, DJ, Kepka, DeChambeau, Cam Smith, Sergio, Patrick Reed, et cetera, et cetera, back on tour. But that's all I got. I mean, that tour, like we talked about, it, it seemed like it was fading away a little bit there. Um, I, that's all I got to get the star power back on the PGA tour. We don't even know what the name's going to be, right? Like, are, do you see either of those sides just stepping aside and saying, now nah, you keep your name like it? I don't know how that's going to work out. Maybe it's the World Golf Tour or something like that. Uh, but I, I think it's got to be star power. That's the only answer I have, and I, I'm not that confident in it. There's got to be more. Like it's, it's very perplexing to me. I, I, I really, truly can't understand it. And so I'll keep reading. I'll keep looking. But I know we got lots of diehard golf fans out there. I'm curious what what the reaction is from golf fans. Do you like it? Do you care? Because um, live. Hadn't heard nearly as much about it other than the squabbling. But from the actual tour itself, TV numbers were non-existent. It wasn't on TV. Even their their downloads on the internet weren't big. So why? Why would you need to do this? Couldn't you have finished the year? Like, was the PGA that desperate to get those players back this year? And what does that send? Like, what messages send to, to your current guys? Like... I can see why they'd be frustrated, man. It's not going to be pretty. On behalf of Connor Halley, I'm Jason Greger. Tomorrow, we have uh, Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals. we got the NBA coming up right here on TSN 1260. You want to tune into that? should be a heck of a game. You have the Nuggets and the Heat. We'll get to all of that and more tomorrow. On behalf of Connor and Strudz, I'm Jason Greger. Have yourselves a great night. Let's get to the Con Man and a Sports Center update brought to you by MC. Dispatch, a same-day courier company that they'll move any size package promptly and efficiently. Go to mcdispatch.com.